were convicted and put it to practice, and you know they had shared with me how powerful it had changed their lives, and so we wanted to share that with you. Um, and hearing it from someone's uh, own experience is, for me, uh, so much more powerful. <clears throat> and so I'm talking about tithing today as part of the Thanksgiving series, which is really a series about gratitude, grace, <clears throat> and generosity. And we, we started out understanding that the actual word thanksgiving is not just giving of thanks, but in the English as well as in the Greek has in it the idea of being grateful as well as being generous. Okay, and so this idea of thanksgiving is yes, we're it's based out of gratitude. That's that's the soil of our heart, and that's the motivation it has to be uh, gratitude. But then it is practiced in generosity, <clears throat> and so it's uh, uh, the purpose of the whole series is, is looking at this idea uh, of, of gratitude, and then grace is intertwined throughout it all. You can see that this week, and especially next next week as well. So the goal for this series is is to increase uh, the number of people who are practicing tithing. And I do recognize different people have different uh, theologies or understandings of this. And, um, you know, I respect uh, your uh, opinion and, and challenge you and encourage you to, to test it out uh, and uh, um, be Bereans, uh, hear what I, I have to say, and then go to the Scripture and figure it out for yourself. But also, I'm challenging uh, people to maybe consider going beyond and giving additional money to missions and tithing. And so what God put on my heart is 1% to missions and 1% to alms. And boy, you know, as a church, if, 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 if everyone gave 1% to missions, we could full give 100% support to at least one, possibly two missionaries. Um, and that would be such a blessing to call like Tim and Samantha Gordon who are working in, in, uh, in, in uh, a poor area of China and just say, hey, guess what, guys? You don't have to worry about fundraising. We're going to cover your whole, all your bills for the year. I mean, wow, wouldn't that be something? So as a church, we have it as possible. It's within our, our means. And, and the same with the alms of um, uh, ministry to the poor. And we, We're called as Christians to do all these things individually, but if we corporately uh, uh, take on a challenge and do this, uh, we can do more together uh, is the idea. And we talked um, previously about koinonia, the word uh, that is normally translated fellowship. And, you know, everybody has their... Their, their own uh, definition for this word fellowship, but the biblical idea of fellowship, we, we can learn by studying how it was used in the original language, included three basic ideas. One is participation, so you're actively involved, you're participating in uh, the group. You're not just an, um, you know, a spectator, you're, you're participating. And the second is intimacy, and in that there's real relationship. Uh, with the others in the group. And so, again, it goes beyond just showing up, but you're, you're investing your life in, emotionally in, in, into the group and with others. And the third aspect of fellowship is contribution. And it literally means a financial investment. So you're invested uh, financially, you're invested emotionally with, through intimacy, and you're invested in your uh, time and talents through participation. And that's what it means when, when the Bible uses the term fellowship throughout the New Testament. But today I'm going to be talking about <clears throat> tithe. And so what is this thing called the tithe? And the word tithe simply means one-tenth. All right? Ten <clears> percent. 
That's what it means. It doesn't mean generic giving to church. It doesn't mean giving to charities. It doesn't mean giving, you know, whatever you happen to have in your pocket. It means 10%. And so, um, you know, it's fine to give to charities. It's good to give to church. But when the Bible talks about a tithe, it's talking about 10%. All right? And because that's what the word means. <laughs> All right? Uh, and it's uh, uh, based on an Old Testament law that we find uh, uh, where God clearly talks about the tithe in Leviticus chapter 27, one-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to Him as holy. Wow. So that makes it very significant. If you want to buy back the Lord's tenth of the grain or the fruit, you must pay its value plus 20%. So in other words, if they, if they wanted to keep their apples... And, and give money instead. They had to, uh, they could do that uh, for whatever reason if they wanted to keep that produce. It's like it was really good apples this season. <laughs> they actually had to add, kick in an extra 20%. Um, count off, it continues on, count off every tenth animal from your herds and flocks and set them apart uh, for the Lord as holy. And so every tenth animal and a tenth of all the produce it was an agricultural uh, uh, society. Pretty much everyone lived off of uh, what grew on the land. And so of all the increase of the land, and in other places it's, it's uh, references of all your increase, uh, you give to the Lord a tithe. And it's, it's holy. <clears throat> now, we learn elsewhere in Scripture that there was a particular use for that money. And in Numbers uh, 18, it talks about the tribe of Levi. And the tribe of Levi, the family of Levi, all the descendants of Levi, rather than being given land when they reached the promised land, they were uh, assigned to care for the temple, uh, actually the tabernacle, and then later the temple and all of the ministry. And so um, instead of being given uh, property where they could grow food and, 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 and have a place to uh, produce income, they served the people of, of God. And so God says, as for the tribe of Levi, your relatives, I will compensate them for their service in the tabernacle. Instead of an allotment of land, I will give them the tithes from the entire land of Israel. So this is what they did with the tithe. And it's important to understand that the, the, the origin or, the, or the, the commandment to give the Lord a tithe is separate from what they then did with the tithe. Okay? Is that it? Point number one. So the tithe was holy. It communicated some of We're going to talk about what it communicated. But just this acknowledgement that one-tenth was holy unto the Lord. And then, and then once it established uh, the, the Levitical priesthood, uh, they used that tithe then to pay those who served the people of God. <clears throat> and this went on for many, many hundreds, many, many centuries. In addition to that, in the Old Covenant, there were many other um, offerings. Uh, there were actually other tithes that were uh, not, uh, that were uh, only had to be uh, done uh, from time to time. <clears throat> and then there were many free will offerings, sin offerings. And so, uh, for example, if you read in the Old Testament about bringing a, a sin offering or different types of offering, whole burnt offerings that you had to bring the best, it couldn't have any blemish. It had to be, uh, you know, without any fault. Well, that wasn't the tithe, because the tithe was one every tenth animal. It didn't matter if it was lame, if it was blind. It was every tenth animal, 
you give to the Lord, all right? But the sin offerings, the, the, uh, all the offerings that they brought to worship, those had to be without spot or blemish, all right? So all of those offerings were in addition to the tithe, all right? Um, and if you really are diligent, you can study out, and some people have calculated how much um, uh, in the Old Covenant people had to give, and it's just an, uh, a ridiculous amount. <laughs> um, uh, tithing, though, uh, I want to share uh, five reasons why I believe that a tithing is still a New Testament practice. There are some people that think that it ended with the Old Covenant. I'm going to give you five reasons why I think that it's still very much a New Testament. Um, do it, I'm going to do it in 21 minutes. <clears throat> All right, are you ready? Number one. Uh, the New Testament does not state its end or its fulfillment. So there's a basic understanding of the Bible is that everything in the Old Testament remains unless it's addressed as being fulfilled or ended in the New Testament through Jesus Christ. So unless there's a specific reference to uh, something in the New Testament as being fulfilled in Christ, then you basically assume that it is still a practice that is expected for believers to practice, to, to continue in. And then you have to step back and say, well, how can I do that uh, law or that commandment or that principle in our culture in our day? And that's, that's part of understanding and applying the Bible in a proper way. And how can I do that in a way that reflects uh, Christ as king? And not just under the law, but the simple truth is <clears throat> the idea that the new covenant somehow just erased everything in the Old Testament is a misunderstanding of the Bible. We understand the Old Testament by having the New Testament. It opens it up and that the New Testament and Old Testament is, is one continuous story. Uh, that we can learn what those things meant by studying the Scripture. As I, um, <clears throat> Jesus said in Matthew 5, Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writing of the prophets. That's what we call the Old Testament. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. Uh, he continues on, he says, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. And so understanding the purpose of the various laws and traditions and commandments of the Old Testament is very critical to understanding if the purpose of something is uh, fulfilled and, and done away with. For example, animal sacrifices and sin offerings, circumcision, the Levitical priesthood, dietary and ceremonial laws, and I could go on to quite a few other things, are, are all, all of those and others are referenced, referred to in the New Testament as being fulfilled in Christ. And so some of them, like animal sacrifices, it actually is an abomination to, to practice because it was fulfilled in Christ. But uh, the, because the purpose of it was fulfilled, the purpose of tithing was not fulfilled uh, in Christ. Right? And that, that, that's, I'm going to get to the purpose in a few minutes. Um, second reason, reason number two, <clears throat> tithing is the only thing for which Jesus commends the Pharisees. All right, uh, Jesus loved picking on the Pharisees. You know, <laughs> maybe I should come up with a group I can pick on. <laughs> no, he didn't just pick on them. He loved them. <laughs> but, uh, for example, he says uh, in Matthew 23, 23, it says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, you hypocrites? For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb, herb gardens. 
but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. And so it's, it's literally the only thing in the, that we see Jesus commending them for. Uh, and he says very clearly in this, you should tithe. So this is a New Testament teaching. People, a lot of people say there's nothing in it. Jesus never talked about tithe. I'm sorry. He actually said you should tithe. Now to say you um, to throw it out because Jesus was talking to a, a, a Jew under the old covenant would not be a proper use of scripture because almost everything Jesus said was to Jews under the old covenant. Yeah. All right, right. Not, maybe, not, not the woman at the well. She was. She was. There's a couple of incidents where incidences where Jesus is actually talking to Gentiles, but everything Jesus said, the whole sermon on the mount, was to Jews. All right, uh, and he said you should tithe. <clears throat> All right, and Jesus also said that our righteousness should exceed that of the Pharisees. Uh, sees, uh, you know, and so he says we have to live uh, above and beyond. Reason number three. Church history. Throughout nearly 2,000 years of church history, tithing has been taught as a personal discipline and something that God blesses. Um, It's the only legitimate source of financing the kingdom of God. And the reason I put legitimate is because throughout history there have been many illegitimate ways of uh, people have practiced to fund the churches and fund the kingdom of God. And they always end up... uh, with a bad result. Uh, for example, some churches <clears throat> in certain cultures are, you know, will take large sums of money from wealthy individuals and, because the wealthy individuals think that somehow that compensates for their uh, sinful behaviors. You know, and the church at one point actually got to the point where they were teaching that. You know, and the whole Reformation, uh, that was one of the things that Luther was appalled by was that people were paying indulgences. You know, that's an illegitimate way to raise money for the church. To say, if you give us $100, you can have your sins forgiven. No, your sins are forgiven through the blood of Christ. It has nothing to do with your money. Uh, all right? <clears throat> and then also, churches uh, uh, colluding with governments uh, for finances always ends up uh, uh, causing uh, tyranny. And so, uh, tithe, which is... a uh, 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 individuals giving of the increase out of gratitude is the legitimate way that um, uh, churches and the kingdom is to be um, financed. Throughout history, you can find examples of sects, you know, groups of the church, and they can be real Christian groups or individuals that reject the idea of, of tithing. And so, yes, you can find historical examples of different portions of Christianity that reject this idea, but you can find examples of Christianity that reject every, every idea. Right? There's portions of Christianity that reject the idea of the Trinity. Okay? Uh, there's portions of uh, Christianity that reject, uh, you know, uh, almost every aspect. Of, of the Christian living. So just the fact that you can find a segment of Christianity that has rejected it doesn't mean that it's biblical that they've rejected it. The mass of evidence throughout the centuries is that churches have practiced this and taught this for, uh, for almost 2,000 years nonstop. Uh, in the early church, it is referenced in the New Testament, 
Some people say, well, it's barely mentioned. It's only mentioned a few places. Um, actually, baptism is only mentioned a few places, uh, but we won't go there. <coughs> I think it's partly because we have to remember that for the first two or three decades of the church was founded in, in Jerusalem, and, and so it was just the, it was the cultural norm. Everyone tithed. And they knew that they, it had been driven into them culturally for literally almost 2,000 years that that 10% belonged to the Lord. And so it, it, um, the initial church was comprised mostly of, uh, for the first 20 to 30 years, almost entirely of converted uh, Jews. And so they practiced this as a matter of culture. <clears throat> uh, and the Pharisees distinguished themselves not by tithing, but by taking tithing to the extreme and boasting about it and ignoring the more important aspects of the law. And so we have another reference in an early church in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. He says, Do you not know that those who minister to the holy things eat of the holy... Oh, I'm sorry. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar. Even so, the Lord has commanded, does he say that? Is that commanded? That those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. So here we have a New Testament teaching explaining to us that just like the old priesthood uh, uh, received their livelihood from the offerings, New Testament preachers of the gospel should receive their uh, livelihood from offerings. All right. In fact, it's a command. All right. So, uh, and it's a, this here connects in the New Testament the practices of the Old Testament to New Testament ministry. This is a link. It helps us understand all those things in the Old Testament. Yeah, that's what I just said right there. <laughs> it's a key that gives us an understanding of how those Old Testament commandments concerning offerings and, and the priest being able to take different portions and the tithe, how all of that now is worked out in the New Covenant. Um, uh, that's one reference I'm going to talk a little more, uh, quite a bit more, because this is the main reason, number four, <clears throat> uh, is why I believe tithing is still relevant for today. Uh, and that's the purpose of tithing. What is the purpose of tithing? Okay, <clears throat> tithing is the evidence of covenant rela- relationship, right? It's the evidence, it's the demonstration, maybe would be a better term, of a covenantal relationship. And tithing demonstrates that money is not our God, all right? In a very, very real way. You can say money's not your God. But boy, when you put 10% down, (laughs) 10% down, (laughs) it proves it. (laughs) Okay, another biblical uh, principle to understand Scripture is uh, the first mention rule. The rule of first mention. And so, in order to understand what the Bible teaches about any subject, bless you, it's very important to find the first place in Scripture where that's mentioned because that gives you the template from which the rest is built on. And so the first mention of tithe is in Genesis 14. <clears throat> it's a story. Let's just read about it. It says, And the king of Sodom went out to meet him, and that would be uh, Abraham, at the valley of Shava, that is the king's valley, after his return from the defeat of 
Shad, <clears throat> and the kings who were with him. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of the Most High God. It says, And he blessed him, uh, Melchizedek blessed Abraham, and said, Blessed be Abraham of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave, he, Abraham, gave him, Melchizedek, a tithe of all. Now the king of Sodom said to Abraham, Give me the persons, and you can take the goods for yourself. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord, God Most High, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and that I will uh, not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, uh, I have made Abram rich, except only what the young men have eaten and the portion of the men who went with me, Aner and Eshkol and Mamer. <laughs> let, let them have their portion. Okay, so this happened 430 years before Moses, the whole story with Moses and the Exodus. This happened uh, in, uh, with, between Abraham, uh, uh, who God uh, gave the promise that he would... Uh, 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 bring a, a salvation to the whole world through the Abraham's descendants. And you have three kings here. You have King Melchizedek, Abraham, uh, who is you know, referenced here as a king of, of his, his tribe, who uh, became the Hebrews, and the king of Sodom. <clears throat> and in this story, what we want to look at is what differentiates Abraham uh, from the king of Sodom. And, and so we have Melchizedek, who is the king of Salem, and most scholars think that that was referring to the city which eventually became Jerusalem. Uh, in the ancient days, it was called Salem. And so here is the king of Jerusalem, and he brings bread and wine, <clears throat> and it says he's the priest of the Most High God, and he blesses Abraham. And then you have Abraham's response is that, um, or, uh, Abraham's relationship with Melchizedek is demonstrated by what he does. He gives a tithe to Melchizedek and he receives a blessing. And so we see the interaction between Melchizedek and Abraham and it teaches us something that Abraham gave a tithe and received a blessing to this character called Melchizedek. And then, and then we see the king of Sodom. Well, Sodom had a different response. He wasn't interested in giving anybody anything, was he? He said, give me! He was interested in getting back what was his. And of course, Sodom represents uh, the world. And we know what happens to Sodom uh, not long afterwards. All right? Is that they're destroyed. And so, uh, you know, the relationship between the king of Sodom and the king of, uh, and Abraham to Melchizedek is a very stark contrast. That Abraham was blessed and Sodom was cursed. And, and here we have it all uh, acted out in this story form. Um, <clears throat> so, let's read the New Testament. Does the New Testament tell us anything about that Old Testament story and that issue of tithing? Well, it happens to in a book called Hebrews. And guess what? The book of Hebrews were written, was written to Hebrews. Hebrews. Okay? 
Those were Jews who spoke the language of Hebrew. And its primary purpose is to help the Hebrews understand how the Old Testament laws are fulfilled in Christ. So if you have an issue of something in the Old Covenant and how it's fulfilled, I mean, your biggest key is the book of Hebrews. So study Hebrews and you'll get to know a lot about the Old Testament, how to understand it and how to connect it with the rest of the New Testament. So Jesus Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, it says in Hebrews 5, but it was he who said to him, he being God Almighty, when Jesus came out of the water at baptism, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And he also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Wow! So there's a a, a declaration from God Almighty that Jesus is a priest, not according to the order of Aaron and the descendants of Aaron or the Levites. Jesus was not a Levite. He was not part of the a Levitical priesthood, but he was a descendant, uh, according to this, in the order of Melchizedek. Wow. And now it goes on in, in Hebrews 7. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated, in other words, his name, the name Melchizedek, uh, means something. It means king of righteousness. Right? So the writer here is trying to communicate the meaning of that Old Testament story. It's like, hey, listen guys, Melchizedek is king of righteousness. Sound like somebody else? Also, king of Salem, meaning king of peace. You know, he is our righteousness. He is our peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. Oh, wow. He's Melchizedek is represented in the Old Testament as though he was an eternal being. Okay, We don't have a record of his genealogy. We don't know where he came from. We don't know what happened to him. He just shows up and the Bible says he's the king of the Most High God. And Abraham, the patriarch, which everything started from, bows down and gives him, gives him a tenth. All right? So this, this Melchizedek was a very important character. And uh, uh, and it teaches us something very, very significant. The Scripture is explaining it. It says, but, it says, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Okay? Um, now, uh, consider how great this man was to whom even the, Abra- uh, the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. So, and indeed, those who are sons of Levi... Uh, who receive the priesthood have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from the brethren. Uh, so what the writer of Hebrews is doing is taking the example of Abraham, tithing to Melchizedek, tying in all of the practice of Old Testament tithing to the Levites, and saying both those things are really... Uh, the same story, part of the same story, it has to do with the same fulfillment. Uh, so they uh, take tithes according to the law that is from the brethren, although they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them receives tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promise. So here this character, this other Melchizedek, actually received tithes from Abraham. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Uh, so what he means here is that Melchizedek was greater than Abraham because 
Melchizedek blessed Abraham. And the lesser is blessed by the greater. So, uh, it continues on. He says, here mortal men receives tithes. Speaking of the natural priesthood of the Levites. But there, in that story, he receives them, uh, uh, of whom it is witten, witnessed that he lives. And so he's making a comparison. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, because he was still in the loins of his father uh, when Melchizedek met him. What he means by that is that <clears throat> even all of the priests and the Levites that came out of Abraham afterwards, and the whole family, when, when Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, they were actually in his bosom and they were submitting themselves and declaring covenantal relationship that Melchizedek uh, uh, was, was worthy to receive tithes. Well, Melchizedek, if you haven't figured it out, is a picture of Jesus. And some people actually think he may have been a theophany. Okay, now theophany is when, I may be pronouncing that wrong, theophany, is when, um, when Jesus actually appears in the Old Testament. All right? Um, and, and there's a debate whether or not Melchizedek was Jesus himself showing up or whether it's just a representation of Jesus to teach us these truths. Either ones, it's equally true. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. That's how significant it was. That's how clear a picture Melchizedek is Jesus or represents Jesus. And so we see how Abraham interacted with Melchizedek. It teaches us how we are to interact with Jesus. <clears throat> so, And God uses in this passage the practice of tithing as a means to teach that Jesus has now replaced the entire Old Testament Levitical priesthood. So uh, this may be getting kind of deep theologically uh, <clears throat> and thinking this through. Because most people just talk about tithing as if you tithe, you'll be blessed. And that's true, but that's not good enough for me. And so, really, I'm serious. I'm like, there's got to be a deeper reason. And this is the purpose of tithing um, is, is explained in this story. God uses this story to show that all of those Levites actually paid tithes through Abraham to Melchizedek, who is Jesus. So it means that the whole Old Testament practice is pointing to uh, Jesus. It doesn't teach us, this passage doesn't teach us that tithing is no longer... Uh, a New Testament practice. It actually teaches that the whole Old Testament tithes were ultimately be, being given to Jesus through Abraham when he tied the Melchizedek. Does it mean it gives us the understanding of what that really meant? Uh, that Old Testament practice of tithing was a signpost, okay, pointing to something bigger. It was foreshadowed in Abraham's interaction with Melchizedek. It was a foreshadowing all through their priesthood of something that was bigger. And what was bigger was Jesus Christ coming and the establishment of the kingdom of God. Okay, and tithing is the way that, is one way that the interaction works in, in, in the spiritual fulfillment. So as Abraham gave a tithe of Melchizedek and received bread and wine and blessing, does that sound familiar? Yeah. You know, we as spiritual children of Abraham, through faith, give our tithes to Jesus and receive bread, the body of our Lord, and wine when we take communion and receive blessing of new life. I mean, I don't know of any other Old Testament 
picture as, as clear as this, the king of righteousness, the king of priests, uh, peace coming and giving bread and wine to the, to the father of, of, of faith. All right? And the response of the father of faith was to give a tithe. <clears throat> so what we see here is tithing is an expression of the covenant relationship between Abraham and Melchizedek. And it's a covenant expression of a covenant relationship that we are in with Christ. So why is this so significant? Listen, in the first century, this really shook people up. It's still shaking people up. People get nervous when you talk about money. And I think it helps if you understand the, the reason, the purpose. It says, the reason this is significant is because the priesthood of Christ is greater than the priesthood of Levi and, the, and Aaron. And the law of Christ is greater than the law of Moses. And Christ is greater than Abraham. All right, And these truths were declared very, very blatantly by the early believers when they would give their tithe not to the synagogue and the Jewish leaders, but to the apostles. All right? Now, we don't have that in our culture. All right? But in that culture, if you read the Bible from the, cult, the historical perspective that what was happening, it was radical to the point where people like Saul were killing Christians All right, because of this. Right? It was a way to demonstrate who is Lord of their lives. And according to this passage, it's Jesus who receives our tithes. That's why Hebrews is talking about tithes and how it all relates. So how do you tithe to Jesus? The church is the body of Christ, right? Yeah. All right. So uh, when you give your tithes to the church, you are giving the Christ. Where do you receive bread and wine? Where do you celebrate communion? That's where you should tithe. All right? That's why I don't believe it's appropriate to give your tithe to some TV ministry. You know, it's fine to support Christian ministries um, with offerings, but even if you give 10% of your offering to some ministry that does good work, that's not tithe. Because it's not fulfilling the purpose. It's not according to what the Bible says. You're just giving a 10% offering and you may be neglecting your tithe. Does that make sense? <laughs> All right? Because it's tied in with this idea of koinonia. Uh, and uh, this, I could talk a lot more about how this creates uh, accountability as well as fosters relationship. But the, the whole uh, idea uh, behind it is, is that it's, it's an expression of our... Um, our unity is an expression of our covenant relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's all experienced in, the, in, a, in a church setting, in a congregation, in a group of people joined together because of their faith. Last reason, got to close with this, and this is what most people only talk about, is that it opens up heaven. You, you can uh, read about it in Malachi 3. It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in, in my temple. If you do, says the Lord, of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. And so uh, another reason is that God will bless you supernaturally um, wow. uh, if you uh, are obedient in this way. God bless. Tori has some announcements. All right. Well, um, in just a moment, we are going to give you an opportunity.